You are listening to Perplexity. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Perplexity, a mystery podcast. As always, I am your host, Kedra, and I am so stoked because today is Perplexity's one-year anniversary, or at least it's this week. So we're going to consider this episode the one-year anniversary episode, and I am just so excited. We just did the 50th episode a few weeks ago. Uh, And this year has just blown by, but I have a great story for you guys today, but I just want to say how grateful I am for each and every one of you. And if you are new here, I tell tales that have perplexed me every single week. So if you love a good mystery that leaves you wanting more, be sure to hit that subscribe button and the notification button if you are watching on YouTube. Or if you're listening on a podcast platform, add this show to your list. And if you enjoy, please leave a five-star review. I promise you will not regret joining the Perplexity Gang. So like I said, it's the one-year anniversary, so I just want to say how grateful I am for each and every one of you, especially my day ones that have been listening from the beginning. It's scary starting a podcast, and you guys have really helped me believe in myself and my confidence. I feel like starting this podcast is so much better than it was when I first started, and that's all thanks to y'all. I do think I was a bit naive on how easy this was going to be. Uh, Turns out being an independent podcast or content creator is very hard because you're your own editor, researcher, writer, uh, you're the face in front of the camera, you're doing all the marketing, the social media, and there's like so many different tools I had to learn how to use and everything. So all of that to say, it's been a whirlwind and I honestly don't know how we did a whole year of not skipping a week, <laughs> but I'm very happy. So thank you everybody. Also really quickly, I just wanted to say thanks to everyone who tagged me in their Spotify wrapped podcast. Like outcomes for the year. That's really cool to see and just see all the analytics from y'all. And I also wanted to say thank you to Amanda from Drinking the Kool-Aid podcast, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, for writing me a really nice five-star review on Apple. She said, this podcast and host are incredible. Love the stories, the way you tell them, and the editing on the videos. Keep them coming. So thank you so much for writing that in, Amanda. And yeah, I'm just, I'm so grateful for you guys and really excited for this story. Uh, This story is like long awaited. A lot of people have asked me to cover this. So let's get into it. Uh, I do want to give a trigger warning and just say that this podcast is not for children. We'll be covering some very creepy and disturbing content today. So listener discretion is advised and the sources that were used for today's episode will all be available down in the show notes. So today we are going to be talking about Skinwalkers and Skinwalker Ranch. So a lot of people, like I said, have requested this, but most recently my friend Samantha recommended it. So thank you and shout out Samantha. Uh, This is a huge topic, and for those of you who don't know what a skinwalker is, or maybe just know a little bit, I thought I would start off first with their origin story. So skinwalkers originate from Native American culture, specifically the Navajo tribe from southwestern America. Skinwalker in the Navajo language is Yi Nagloshi, which translates to he who walks on all fours. And depending on who you ask, the skinwalker has different origins. Some people say that it comes from the long walk, which saw skinwalkers shapeshift to escape the horror of living under the torture of the white man. As they shifted to an animal form, so they couldn't be caught by soldiers. So basically to escape their trauma, they were able to tulpa this into existence. Another origin story suggests that skinwalkers were a tradition started by poorer communities as skinwalkers would dress up in their ceremonial dress and knock on doors and rich people would leave something outside for the skinwalkers. But as times changed, 
the rich people gave them less and less. And so then the skinwalkers started to resent the rich people even more and wanted revenge. Some people believe that skinwalkers are evil witches that have gained this insane power and this ability to shapeshift. Some people say they can recruit other skinwalkers and will have an official ceremony because skinwalkers can only take on their new form when a group of them gather together and perform a ritual. According to some traditions, skinwalkers were once healers and medicine men who were corrupted by their own power and became evil. In modern times, comparisons are frequently made with the Sith Lords of Star Wars and it's also been said that social transgressions and the breaking of tribal taboos can cause anyone to become a skinwalker. While the majority of skinwalkers are believed to be adults, there is actually no age limit, and there have been many sightings of child skinwalkers. So didn't know that and thought that was an interesting fact. As I said earlier, many people believe that skinwalkers are evil witches that are very powerful. And it is said that these powerful witches can transform into any type of animal at their own will. But most often they're cited as coyotes, wolves, foxes, eagles, owls, or crows. Many people who have claimed to see a skinwalker have described them as hollowed out dog-like animals which I thought was a super creepy description. Some people have even been known to have been powerful enough to temporarily steal the faces of different people. So basically these skinwalkers can not only shapeshift into animals, but they can temporarily steal someone else's identity, making people think that they're maybe a loved one or a friend, whoever. They have also been known to be able to mimic human voices and babies crying. And they do this because skinwalkers have to be invited in. So they basically do this as a way to invite themselves into your life and get what they want. You should never look a skinwalker in the eye because if you lock eyes with them, you're basically giving them permission to control you. Some skinwalkers are believed to even be able to turn the remains of corpses into a poisonous dust to use on their next victim. Many people believe that skinwalkers are the essence of evil and they feed on the power of other humans. They're able to run incredibly long distances. Some people say over 200 miles in one night, which I feel like is really specific. They've often been spotted around graveyards and they say this is because they like to dig up the graves of the dead and they can do this very fast. They are also sighted near native reservations often, which makes sense. So you may be wondering, how can you kill a skinwalker? And there's a lot of different theories about this too. Some people say that because they're extremely powerful, they're near impossible to kill. Although according to widely reported lore, a bullet or a knife rubbed with white ash can do the trick. Other people say you have to call them by their true human name in order to kill them. And others say the only way to defeat a skinwalker is with the magic and charms that they use themselves. But a blessing from a medicine man can provide some temporary protection, if nothing else. Medicine men are recognized as the only people who can effectively combat the dark magic possessed by a skinwalker. And I just want to say that another common fact about skinwalkers is that just by talking about them, you are inviting them in. This is part of why it's actually really hard to find stories about skinwalkers because a lot of Native Americans don't speak about them for their own safety. So I am risking my life right now for you guys. <laughs> this is how much I love my listeners. So despite it being forbidden to talk about skinwalkers, you can find a plethora of alleged skinwalker experiences on the internet. And of course, Reddit is no different. I found an article from Thought Catalog by Jacob Gears, and he shares 13 terrifying stories that are from Reddit, but he doesn't mention who wrote them. So I just picked some of my favorites and I'm sure you could really go down a rabbit hole and find them on Reddit if you want, but they're also in this article. So just a quick one here. They say, my uncle is Mexican and Native American. 
This happened in the Mojave Desert in Southern California. He was driving around with his girlfriend late at night, and they saw something that looked like a huge black dog on the side of the road. He slowed down, and the dog began to cross the road. Instead of walking like a normal dog would, this thing moved like a toy rocking horse. He said it stopped in the middle of the road and stared right at them, and its eyes had a red glow. So it's like, again, that hollowed out dog type of description. I would imagine if it's moving like a rocking horse, I see like this stiff, rigid animal. So really creepy description there. Here's another short story. This happened about 12 years ago. My family owns a farm in the heart of an Indian reservation. One winter, I was home for Christmas, taking care of the farm while my parents were away Christmas shopping. As I was home by myself, way late in the night, and I hear all our cows freaking out. I knew it had to be the wild dogs that are rampant in the area. So I throw on some boots, grab a shotgun, and load it up and head out to the field. This was a perfect scenario for a horror movie. It was cloudy, but there was full moon, and it was breaking through the clouds just right to light up all the snow. I ran out into the middle of the field and just in time to see two dogs. They were standing up, facing each other, and fighting. I think, perfect, two for one. So I pump a shell into the chamber of Mr. 12 Gauge, and then it happened. The two dogs heard the rack, they both stopped, looked over at me, and ran away on their back legs. Immediately, I froze, and every ghost story about skinwalkers and all the other native legends I grew up with flew through my mind. Keep in mind, I am a white guy, and up until then, these were all just boogeyman stories the native kids liked to tell to scare us. That night, they became real to me. And this one's a little bit longer, but a really interesting story. So they say, I was spending a month with my cousins at my grandma's house. It was August, and my cousins' ages ranged from 10 to 15. I was the oldest, being 15. I was staying with a 10, 13, and 14-year-old. We stayed up, telling scary stories often. But one night, a few weeks in, we decided to make a campfire out back. My grandma's house is in a rural suburb. The neighbors aren't too far when you're driving down the road to her house. But in the backyard, it's thick forest with man-made paths running through it. Each house is on a hill, so only part of the basement was actually underground. That isn't important until later, though. So we're towards the east side of her yard and a smallish patch of open land. You couldn't see the neighboring yards from there, and there was probably three quarters a mile to each side of us that belonged to my grandma. It was maybe 11 at night, and we were playing truth or dare after telling scary stories. And my 14-year-old cousin dared me and the 13-year-old to go walk through the paths for 10 minutes or so. I said yes right away, as I wasn't easily scared and rather level-headed. But my younger cousin was a bit more hesitant. We didn't bring a flashlight because it wasn't pitch dark yet, and we could see enough to not die. We were walking through the paths for about five minutes, and I could see the fire through the trees when we decided to turn. In the middle of the path was a large dog-like creature, hunched over with its front hands an inch from the ground. What I remember most was how its eyes were so fucking bright white. And it was humanoid dog-shaped with a human-like head, but a dog-like body, but human hands and feet. It looked right at us, and I know I was paralyzed with fear as it dashed away the opposite way from us towards a creek that ran through the yard. Eventually, my cousin and I screamed bloody effing murder, and the other cousins and my grandma ran to us. I don't remember much here because I was really disoriented and I couldn't think properly, but I did wake up in bed, so I assume that I was brought up to the house. All the kids slept in the basement, in a big room with a sliding glass door to the outside, as the room was on the side that wasn't underground. My bed was pressed against a big glass window, 
and I could see my cousins playing outside down below. The house is in Michigan, so it gets slightly chilly even in the end of August, and there was a slight breeze, so I put on a jacket and ran outside to join them, skipping breakfast, not wanting to miss out on anything fun. When I got down, I could tell they weren't playing, but rather running to get my grandma. Her dogs, both of them, were dead, ripped up. That night, we went to bed early. I woke up at maybe two in the morning because I felt something hit my head. My cousins were all sitting on the double bed opposite me on the other side of the room. There was one bunk bed and two double beds. The double beds for me and my 14-year-old cousin, they were being quiet and staring at me. The 13-year-old nodded his head toward the window. I froze. They all looked afraid. I turned my head slightly to the side and I saw a really messed up looking face pressed to the window with gaping eyes looking down at me. I screamed so fucking loud and it bolted. My grandma called the police after I told her what happened, but they found nothing. I went home after that and I've never been there during the night again. So just a couple of creepy stories from Reddit for you. Think of those what you will, but definitely entertaining and creepy stories. And I would be remiss if I didn't include a story from one of my favorite podcasts, Snap Judgments Spooked. This episode is called Skinwalkers, if you want to listen to it, and it is the story that first introduced me to a skinwalker. I hadn't heard of them until I heard this story several years ago. So this story comes from a man named Lee. They just use his first name. Lee is Native American, and he has had a lot of experiences. And he says at the beginning of the episode that he's nervous to even talk about this because, again, when you talk about skinwalkers, it's said that you're inviting them in. I just want to say, for the record, y'all aren't invited to fuck with me, okay? Not allowed. So Lee says that when he was a child, his grandmother would often tell him scary stories, cautionary tales. They'd sit around the campfire eating homemade fry bread, and she would tell them true ghost stories. When Lee started to show interest in the lore behind skinwalkers, he asked his grandmother if she had any specific stories about them, and she certainly did. One story she told involved Lee's great-grandfather. One day, she says he was out in the mountains, up in the hills, not too far from where they were at the time Lee first hears this story. Lee's great-grandfather herded sheep, and he sold wool to make a living. He was having a problem, though, with one of his neighbors because sheep were mysteriously going missing or they were even being found dead. And for some reason, he just had a feeling that his neighbor had something to do with this. So one evening, Lee's great-grandfather is out in the field and he's letting his sheep graze. It's getting dark and he's getting ready to herd the sheep back home when he hears an unusual sound. The sound was almost like a drum beat, and something was chanting or singing. So it freaks him out. He gets down, and he starts crawling towards the sound to find the source. He ends up crawling over a hill, and he sees a fire going. Lee's great-grandfather then sees one person that is sitting there alone at the fire, and he recognizes him because, wouldn't you know, it's his neighbor. And Lee's great-grandfather just gets this sinking feeling that whatever this neighbor is doing, it isn't good. He knew that his neighbor practiced witchcraft, and he basically concluded that this witch had something to do with his sheep going missing and being dead. He believed that this witch was practicing black magic. So Lee's great-grandfather is super scared, and he feared for his own safety as well. He recognized that this neighbor was a very powerful witch, but he mustered up the courage and he later confronted this neighbor about what he was doing. He said to him, quote, I know what you do. And as he did this, his neighbor's eyes got really wide and he looked super, super scared. And this is because it is said if someone knows who you are, they also know what you've done. Because in order to become a skinwalker, 
you have to kill someone close to you. So I didn't mention this at the beginning because I wanted to kind of save that surprising fact for the story, but that's part of the lore behind Skinwalkers is you can't become one until you murder. So this neighbor, you know, gets found out and he starts pleading with Lee's great-grandfather to please not tell anyone. He's offering him money and sheep and all of these things, but Lee's great-grandfather refuses. And he not only refuses, but he tells as many people as he can. He told other neighbors, he told people in the community, his wife, and not long after that, the neighbor suddenly grew very ill and passed away. Skinwalkers deeply frightened Lee, more so than ghosts or any other paranormal phenomena. And he says this is because unlike most ghosts that can't harm you, a skinwalker absolutely can. Another story that Lee tells is that one night, he and the other grandchildren laid on their mattresses outside on the trampoline at their grandparents' house for a fun sleepover night outside, which I've done as a kid with my sister before. And it was summertime, it still got cold during the night, so they brought out their blankets and sleeping bags. And when it got dark, you know, they're out in the middle of nowhere, so it's extremely quiet. There is no noise of traffic or airplanes. It's just the big black sky and tons and tons of stars. Lee's dad even went outside with them for a little while. And like his grandmother, he also liked to tell the kids true horror stories. Lee's dad told them that when he was 19, living in the Midwest, he was serving a church mission in the wintertime it was snowy, and he was driving to another town. His partner was in the car with him, asleep, and it was midday, but cold and gloomy. They were in a very desolate area, and he starts to feel this incredibly strong sense of dread all of a sudden. Then this man jumps over a fence on the side of the road, and runs out into the middle of the road right in front of Lee's dad's car. So Lee's dad slams on the brakes and like a scene out of a movie, he just lands inches from this guy. He almost hit him. Lee's dad said that this man was no ordinary man. He was covered in fur and he put his hands right on the hood of the car and just stared Lee's dad in the eyes. Lee's dad said the man looked incredibly exhausted and filled with sorrow. They stared at each other for several moments, and Lee's dad knew there was no way this was any ordinary man. The man ran away and jumped back over the fence and disappeared. So he's made eye contact with him. He's, you know, invited him in, according to lore. Lee and the kids hear this story, and of course they're terrified, but they're also curious. So they asked Lee's dad if he had any other experiences. And this is when he shared Lee's grandfather's story. So we've heard the great grandfather's story. We've heard the dad's story. Now we're going to hear the grandfather. So it seems to be going through generations. When Lee's grandfather was in his early teens, he was preparing to perform a rite of passage ceremony to become a man. He was outside of a home made out of adobe that they call a kiva, and it had a really big ladder that you could use to go in and out of the kiva. He was headed inside when he felt an overwhelming sense of fear and dread. He then saw a man appear from the woods wearing animal hides. And this man starts walking towards Lee's grandfather. He was very tall and he had long, messy, matted hair. His eyes and face showed immense misery, is how it's described. He then said something to Lee's grandfather in their native language about how he longed for death. His grandfather knew that whatever this thing was, it was definitely evil and dangerous. He sensed that it was some type of witch, so he's, you know, scared and he takes off running. What frightened Lee so much about this is that Lee's dad believes this was the same skinwalker that his great-grandfather confronted all those years ago. 
even though it's been decades and this was on the other side of the country. So it's like this thing is attached to their family. This has happened in every generation. So hearing all these stories, Lee's really scared. Like, what if something like this happens to him, you know? His family would warn him of a lot of different things. They would tell him, don't walk alone at night on the reservation, don't whistle. And for those of you who don't know, you don't whistle in the woods because it's said to invite spirits in if you're in an enchanted woods area. Uh, they tell him not to drive alone on the reservation and to not conjure up or associate with anyone that practices black magic. So a couple summers later, Lee was 14 years old. He was back at his grandparents' land outside helping his grandma take care of the yard, uh, just like watering the plants. And there was also this neighbor there named Ernie and his grandmother would just pay Ernie to do things around the house. He lived like four or five houses down. So he's there helping out and eventually it's kind of getting late. Lee's grandmother asks Lee if he'll take Ernie home for her. Lee is only 14, so he doesn't have a permit to drive, but like a lot of people do in the country, he knows how to drive. So he hops in his grandmother's old truck with Ernie and his brother also went with them. And then their dog also like jumped in the back of the truck. So they all get in and they drive off to take Ernie home. So Lee's brother's in the front seat. The sun's gonna be setting soon and they do get to Ernie's pretty quickly. They drop him off and it's time to head back to their grandmother's house. But Lee decided that he was going to take a route that he doesn't normally take, uh, but he knew it was faster. So I guess he took this route, you know, before it would get dark and stuff. The weather was clear, 75 degrees, windows were rolled down, and, you know, Lee's just relaxing, enjoying the good vibes. He's got his hand out the window, the wind in his hair. He's listening to oldies music on the radio because that's the only station that they had signal for. But this is when all of a sudden, Lee sees something strange coming out from the side of the woods along the side of the road. And it's a sheep. So he slows down. He's worried that he might hit this sheep. And he begins to get the same feeling that his great-grandfather and his grandfather and his father have all had. He has this incredible sense of overwhelming fear and dread. So he passes the sheep, he doesn't hit it, but then he's kind of looking back at it in the rearview mirror. And now this sheep is starting to change its form, its shape. Lee described it as it was uncurling, crouching, stretching out, and then it just stood up straight. No fucking thank you. It was tall and thin with long arms and legs. It had fur on its arms, shoulders and legs, and it starts running towards the truck at full force. So this would scare the shit out of anyone. And Lee, you know, puts his foot down, you know, pedal to the metal. He takes off as fast as he can. Um, it takes a while for the truck to pick up speed because it's an old truck. So when he's going like 30 miles an hour, the thing is still keeping up with him, no problem. Its long limbs were swinging, keeping stride as it chases them. And as Lee increased his speed to 65 miles an hour on this dirt road, the truck starts fishtailing, but the creature is just without a problem keeping stride with the truck. And Lee is like questioning his sanity, questioning reality, and he's worried that this thing is going to kill them. And remember, his dog is in the bed of the truck, so he's barking like crazy. It's just complete chaos. Lee said the pitch of his dog's bark was like nothing he had ever heard before. And Lee's brother is seeing all this happen too, so it's you know, not just Lee seeing it. Lee's brother is freaking out and crying and the thing starts getting so close that it comes up on the driver's side of the truck right towards Lee. So it's getting closer and closer and Lee speeds up even more going as fast as he possibly can in this old truck. And they go around a bend and another car is coming from the opposite direction with its lights on. They pass each other and Lee feels this 
instant sense of relief. He's lighter and he's looking around and he realizes this thing is gone. Lee speeds back to his grandmother's house and as soon as they park, they jump out, they sprint inside, they slam the doors, they lock everything up and their grandmother is kind of watching all of this like, what's wrong? What happened? Why are you guys so freaked out? So Lee tells her a little bit of what happened and Lee's grandmother is just super casual and she's like, yeah, stuff like that happens around here like so nonchalant. And so this is when the childhood stories that Lee had always heard became reality for him. He didn't sleep outside anymore. He never went out alone and he knew that these things were real. The last thing that Lee tells in this podcast is that about four or five years later, his dad came home one night and Lee's in bed laying down. So he would be like 18 or 19 at this point. And his room was next to the living room. So he hears his dad talking to his mom, and he can tell by the tone of his dad's voice that something is wrong. His dad was crying, and he starts telling his wife about what had happened to him while he was coming back from Phoenix. He was driving on Interstate 17 in Arizona between Phoenix and Flagstaff. And he's climbing an altitude and he starts to see the pine trees around him. And then on his right side, on a little hill, he sees the same man that he saw when he was a missionary. He had the exact same appearance, the animal hides. He was tall and dark, dirty, and his eyes looked extremely exhausted and sad. He was so scared that he nearly crashed the car. And so Lee's just laying in bed, hearing all of this, hearing his dad cry. And Lee says his dad was like a really tough guy and he had never heard him get emotional like this. So he didn't really know what to do. He just kind of lays in bed and is eavesdropping. And Lee to this day wonders if this is the same person, the same skinwalker that's been just haunting his family generation through generation. Lee also has three sons today, and he wonders when they will experience this thing for themselves. So now we're going to kind of get into part two of this episode. Something else that I found to be really interesting, despite their much older origins, is skinwalkers hadn't really entered public discourse until the 1990s. And this is largely thanks to a team of scientists that began to investigate the infamous Skinwalker Ranch in northern Utah. The ranch is off Highway 191 in Gusher, Utah. And there's a series on Netflix right now that you could watch. They're still filming. And I got a lot of information about the ranch from this series. This place is arguably the worst place to have ever existed. And it just has a little bit of everything. So it's, of course, it's going to have skinwalkers, but there's much, much more. Don't you worry. So let's get into it. The property lies on land traditionally inhabited by the Ute tribe. But the term skinwalker, as I said, comes from Navajo legend. So the legend for this ranch is that during a time of hostility between the Ute and the Navajo, the Utes betrayed the Navajo. The Utes started kidnapping Navajo people and selling them into slavery with the Spanish who occupied the area at that time. So the Navajo were pissed and they sought revenge. They ended up basically unleashing a curse and this allowed skinwalkers to stalk the Ute land and wreak havoc. But the story of Skinwalker Ranch really begins in the year of 1994 when the Sherman family bought the land. And the Shermans were cattle breeders. They got a lot of land. It was just a little over 500 acres. And it's filled with woods, rivers, marshes. The Sherman family also had two kids. They had a lot of money. And they were just looking forward to settling down on this gorgeous land. Um, they also had gotten a really good deal on the land. They bought it for like insanely cheap, like alarmingly cheap, hint, hint. 
And they had one rule that they had to follow from the sellers. And it was that they were not allowed to dig anywhere on the land or change anything without first consulting them. But it was recommended they don't do any digging of any kind. And the ranch at the time then became known as Sherman Ranch. So the Shermans move in. They're living there for about two weeks and everything's normal, beautiful, peaceful. But all of a sudden in these two weeks, strange things start to happen to the Shermans. And this would continue to escalate over the course of two years. They hadn't looked at the house when they moved in because they were coming from out of state. So it was a blind purchase. So they kind of just had to rely on what their realtor was telling them. And I'm sure they were more concerned about the land being uh, cattle breeders. So when they get into this house, they're seeing it for the first time. And this house is weird. There's deadbolts and big ass locks on like all of the windows, cabinets and doors. And they're on the inside and the outside. You could even deadbolt off certain sections of the house. So at first the Shermans are thinking that whoever lived there before must have been like doomsday preppers. But there's also these chains lined up along the outside of the house. And it appeared that these chains had been used to keep guard dogs there. So it's giving like serial killer vibes. It's really creepy and strange. Like they were clearly trying to protect themselves from something. It's just really, really weird, right? And then the whole no digging thing too, it, you know, kind of gives like a serial killer vibe to it. After a few weeks, the Shermans start to move in their bigger items to the property. They're like moving in furniture and it had been raining all morning. So when there was a quick break in the rain, they went out there really fast to move as many items as they could. And when they're doing this, an animal starts to approach the Shermans from a distance. The Shermans are looking at this animal and as it gets closer, they realize it is a huge wolf and it's coming straight towards them and their cattle. Not good. The wolf was between three to four feet tall on all fours. So it was really, really big and it approached them very calmly, but it was super, super friendly, like a really nice stray dog. And the family felt so calm that they pet this wolf. So it was like enchanting. But meanwhile, they're like super calm and they're like, oh wow, this is such like a cool experience. And their cattle are terrified and they're cowering in this like metal pen in the corner. The wolf was also really strange. It had these piercing blue eyes and it smelled like wet dog from the rain. Then out of nowhere, the wolf jumps towards a calf that was sticking its head out of the metal bars of the fence. And for all the animal lovers, I'm sorry, you're gonna hate this story. Um, the wolf bites down with great force on the calf's head. So the Sherman's son grabs a baseball bat and it just starts hitting this wolf as hard as he possibly can. These calves are worth a lot of money. They don't want anything to happen to them. So he's just doing everything he can to fight this wolf off. But the wolf is completely unfazed by these hard hits from this baseball bat. It doesn't even flinch. And the dad, Terry, is like, now he's trying to think of what to do next. So he yells to his son to go to the truck and get his handgun, because this is the country. There's guns lying around everywhere. So he listens and he grabs the gun for his dad. He gives it to him. And Terry has great aim. He aims right at the wolf, shoots him three times, hits him, pow, pow, pow. But again, nothing happens. And the wolf has no blood coming from its wounds. Then the son gets Terry's shotgun. And again, they shoot the wolf three more times. And eventually a chunk of his flesh and fur flies off. And it's just like it lands on the ground. But there's still no blood. The wolf is making no noises. It's not hurt. But he just kind of casually like turns around and like sees his flesh on the ground and he's like come on man and he just walks off as if nothing happened so the shermans are just like 
okay, what the actual fuck is going on? They're trying to take all of this in. And Terry decides he needs to follow this animal and finish it off because the last thing that he wants is for this thing to come back and kill more of his calves. He sees the footprints that the wolf left and he decides he's going to follow it into the woods. There's no blood on the trail. He takes his son with him and they get further and further into the woods. And eventually the footprints lead them to like this big clearing. So the footprints are in the middle of the clearing, but all of a sudden they just vanish. It's like this thing was lifted into the sky. So now their only evidence is these mysterious disappearing footprints and the chunk of flesh that the wolf left behind. And they said that this chunk of flesh smelled like rotting meat, even though it had just come off of this wolf. It had like a putrid smell. The Shermans were also so freaked out by this that they were like, okay, we need to report this to the authorities. They did, but of course the authorities don't take this seriously because this is Utah. There's no wolves of any kind in this area. So they're like, y'all are full of shit. Like wolves literally are not here. That's not a thing. Uh, no wolves had been seen in this area since the 1920s. And this is the 90s. And even then in the 20s, the wolf that was seen there was really tiny. So to say that there's this gigantic wolf 70 years since there was the last wolf sighting there, it's just, it's unheard of. So a few weeks go by and then Gwen, the wife, starts to have strange experiences too. So one day she is driving back from being in town and their house had like one of those big metal gates to get onto the property that you had to like get out and unchain it and swing it open, then, you know, drive through, chain it back. So she's driving back in from town. She gets to this gate and gets out to open the gate, but she spots a wolf approaching her from the distance. And it's another big ass wolf like the one that they saw before. So she jumps in her car as quick as she can. She's not messing with this thing. And the wolf dashes in front of her car and it just sits and stares at Gwen. She said that this wolf was so big, it was taller than her car. She then sees a huge black dog on the hill nearby. So she's got this gigantic wolf in front of her car and then a big black dog over here. And the big black dog had piercing blue eyes, like the wolf that they, the family had seen the first time. So she swerves the car around and she drives up to the house as fast as she can to get away from this. She runs inside the house, she's telling everybody what's going on, and she's like, I have to go to the cops. But again, they don't take them seriously. And they're starting to think at this point, maybe there's someone in the area that's like illegally breeding wolves and they're getting out somehow. So the police humor Gwen and they're like, okay, fine. Here's a bunch of pictures of all these different kinds of wolves. I want you to look at these pictures and tell me which one, like which kind of wolf did you see? So she's like, okay, great. And she starts looking through the pictures and she's like, nope, not it, not it, not it. And then eventually she sees a picture and she's immediately convinced. She's like, this is exactly what I saw. But the picture is of a dire wolf. And uh, here's the thing about dire wolves. They've been extinct for a little while, uh, 10,000 years to be exact. So the police are like, okay, now we know that you're fucking lying because these things have not existed for thousands and thousands of years. And Gwen is like, I don't care what y'all say. I know this is the exact wolf that I saw. So one day Gwen goes to the grocery store and she's stocking up on a lot of supplies because you know, they live really far away. They have a family of four and she brings all the groceries back and she's unloading all of them. It takes her a while to put them all away, you know? And she's doing this. She goes to another part of the house to do something else. Um, she comes back about 15 minutes later and all of the groceries that she had just put away are sitting out on the kitchen table as if she hadn't touched them. So she's like, what the hell? And she's looking at the groceries really confused. And she tells Terry what happened. And he's, you know, just like downplaying the whole thing. He's like, oh, you probably just forgot that you left some of them out or whatever. 
And so she's obviously freaked out by this, but she just, I mean, what else is she going to do? So she puts them all away for a second time and kind of forgets about it. But a couple nights later, they're having dinner and Terry wanted to season his food. So he grabs the pepper shaker and salt comes out. And then he grabs the salt shaker and pepper comes out. So he's like, who switched these? What happened? Just like a weird little thing, whatever. And Gwen hadn't refilled the salt or the pepper shakers because she, they like, they didn't need to be refilled. They had plenty of stuff in them. So someone would have had to have like poured out the salt and pepper and switched them out of each one. So I don't know what kind of ghost would do something like this, but just a weird little thing that I thought to mention. Things also started going missing from the kitchen and they were trying to, you know, do some installations on the property too. And they started having weird things happening. They have cattle. So they wanted to put in this big fence and they had been digging all these holes to install the fence posts. And remember the buyers told them not to dig. Perhaps this was a warning. So Terry goes out one day and he has this post hole digging machine and he's using it to build the fence. But he, you know, goes out to do more work and he realizes that this machine, it's gone. It's disappeared. It's not where he left it, which is really strange because this was a really big and really heavy machine. It couldn't just blow away, you know? So this machine was at least 75 pounds and he starts walking all over the property trying to find it and he can't find it anywhere. Eventually... He walks about a mile, and this is where he finds the machine. And not only this, but the 75-pound machine was off the ground and hanging from a tree. What the hell is happening? There's another time that the sun is stacking wood outside, and it was nearly a ton's worth of wood, like tons and tons of wood. There's this huge, heavy pile. He's been working in the field all day. He's tired. So he goes inside to get a drink or whatever. And when he comes back out, just a couple minutes later, the wood pile is gone. So he's super confused, obviously. He's like, how is this gigantic pile of wood just gone? And like the machine, he does eventually find the wood, but it's a hundred meters away from where it was before and it's still a perfect stack it's just as if someone like perfectly picked it up swooped it over a hundred meters and set it down no thank you they're also having this paranormal like activity on the property disembodied voices are being heard around the home and the voices are not in english they can't recognize the language though Orbs of light are also being seen constantly around the home and even a mile away from the home. So it's like this whole property just has this really strange phenomenon going on that no one can explain. The orbs sometimes looked like liquid metal and were usually red or blue in color. So really, really weird. Terry gets so freaked out that he starts telling the kids that they're not allowed to go outside anymore. And Gwen and Terry are also seeing and experiencing these things separately and then coming together and talking to each other about it. So they, again, can't really explain their experiences, but they're both experiencing them at this point. They know that this is real and things are just continuing to escalate. So one night, Terry is sitting outside and he is doing like this stakeout to protect the cattle from whatever the hell is going on at the ranch. He's sitting outside with his gun and he's looking through the scope of his gun to see, you know, anything that might be out there. While he's doing this one night, he's looking through the scope and he sees this strange orb appear and it's floating midair. And he said that he could see straight into the orb and there was like this tunnel on the other side and he could see sunny daylight on the other end, like a portal which would explain these objects, you know, disappearing, reappearing, being moved all over the property. 
just super, super creepy. Another time during the winter, Terry's checking on his cattle and he's counting all of them. He's making sure everybody's good, healthy. And Terry was really good at taking care of his cattle. He had a really low loss rate. It was just 1% where the average loss rate is around 5% for most cattle breeders. So he's on it. There's a snowstorm coming, so he just wants to make sure everybody's safe and good. But as he's counting, he realizes one of the cattle is missing. He sees this set of footprints, and they're clearly from a cow. So he tracks the footprints, and he's like, I'm going to get this cow back, and everything's going to be fine. But just like the wolf that they first saw when they moved to the ranch, as he's tracking these footprints, out of nowhere, the footprints vanish. They just stop in the middle of an open field or whatever. This happens to Terry four more times over the next several months with different cattle. So cattle are just vanishing into thin air. And there hadn't been any more wolf sightings either. There's no blood. There's no other footprints. They're just gone. Another day without warning, a bunch of the cows mysteriously get out and they're just wandering around the property. So Terry and his son are frantic. They rush out and they're trying to herd all these cattle back in. And they're trying to like triage the situation. So they find this one calf that's stuck in the mud, but it's clearly stuck. It's not going anywhere. And they know that they need to be quick in getting these cattle back. So they're like, okay, he's stuck. He's not going anywhere. Let's leave this one here for now and we'll come back and get it. Let's find the ones that are like loose. So they leave the calf there, about 15 minutes goes by, and when they go back for the stuck calf, now it's not moving. It's just completely motionless in the mud. So they get closer to it, and they find that the calf is dead, and um, the way that it died is really, really not cool. There is a small hole on the back of the calf near its rectum and the innards of the calf had been cleanly sucked out creating a perfectly hollowed out and clean hole yeah i know i'm sorry this story is awful but you guys asked for it so another night terry and gwen are out watching the cattle and they have their three dogs with them these blue healers when a blue orb of light mysteriously appears before them. So it's freaking everybody out, the cattle, the dogs, everybody's going crazy, and the orb shoots off, and the dogs start to chase it. And Terry kind of ags them on, and he's like, yeah, go get it, go get it. Um, so they're chasing it, they're chasing it, they get all the way to the tree line, and Terry loses sight of this orb and all three of his dogs. But these are trained outdoor dogs. They are outside all of the time. You know, they're young, they're stealthy. So he's not worried. He's confident that these dogs will find their way back. They know their way around the property. So he's like, not, not bothered. He'll just check on the dogs in the morning. Couldn't be me. But morning breaks, he goes and looks for the dogs. But instead, he uh, doesn't find the dogs. He finds three piles of incinerated flesh. The dogs had somehow burst into flames and were all killed on the spot. And I'm sorry, guys, the story is just going to keep getting worse. So another day, the family is out tagging the calves ears. And at this point, it's been about two years since they moved in. It's 1996. And they hear a calf suddenly cry out. Then one of the mama cows also starts going insane. So the Shermans run over to investigate and they find that this little calf has been completely skinned, deboned, and its innards are laid out neatly by all of the bones and the hide. But all of the meat from the calf is missing. There's no signs of a predator having been there, no attack marks, there's no other footprints on the ground. There's no blood, nothing. 
So a team of scientists led by a local science teacher, Joseph Jr. Hicks, determined that a very sharp blade, it would have had to have been as sharp as a machete, and a sharp set of scissors could have been used to butcher the animal. But all of this happened within about 60 seconds. So no person could have done this. So the Sherman family has had enough of this at this point, and they, after living there for two years, fleed the area. Soon after, curious people, you know, start to come forth, and eventually the property is bought by a millionaire named Robert Bigelow. And Bigelow was the owner of Budget Motels, and he brought in a team of scientists. Uh, he has all the time and all the resources. He really wants to figure out what the fuck is going on here. So it doesn't take long before they also start having very strange experiences. And four missing bulls, like male cows, were found locked in a trailer that they had no access to. Uh, the trailer was locked with like a big padlock, but all of the uh, walls on the trailer had become magnetic. So these animals have just vanished and appeared here. And all of a sudden this trailer has become magnetized and the magnetism on the walls, they said lasted for about two days. And then the walls went back to normal. Eventually, a man named Brandon Fugel became the owner, and he is still the owner today. He makes appearances often on the Netflix series, and throughout the show, the crew, which includes a lot of experts, astrophysicists, geologists, there is a um, radiation oncologist, there's drone operators. Um, all of these people are just having very strange experiences. There's mysterious deaths of cattle. There's electromagnetic phenomena. There's dangerously high levels of radiation there, hence why the radiation oncologist is there. There's people getting severe headaches, signs of radiation sickness and burns. Uh, Technology is acting crazy. Like there's this one guy who his phone will like unlock by itself and it'll just start like going through all of his apps it'll scroll through his text messages it dialed like 911 and all of these random phone numbers like super super weird they do this one experiment with a drone where they put the drone up in the sky to see if it can like find any weird phenomena up in the sky and the drone just completely vanishes disappears uh, there's sightings of UFOs and orbs on the show. They even find a sinkhole and they do decide to dig this team, which you're not supposed to do, but they dig. And in season two, they're messing with this sinkhole. They dumped like 45,000 gallons of water into it because they wanted to see how deep the sinkhole was and like where the water would go. They dump 45,000 gallons of water into this sinkhole and they fill it to the top. And then within like an hour, all of the water has drained, but they cannot figure out where it went. Like they're checking all these creeks and riverbeds. They had put like this green dye in the water that was like incredibly bright and they're not seeing the green dye anywhere on the property. So it's just like, there's clearly something underground here that is absorbing all of this water. And they even like dig up there later and they can't find any source of where the water was. Um, the ground is also filled with clay, which holds water incredibly well. So like, where did all this water go? Super, super weird. And there continue to be reports of skinwalker type animals leaping over the fence and coming onto the property. But the weirdest thing about this ranch to me is a lot of the experiences like with the cattle don't seem to be the work of skinwalkers. It seems like they're being probed by UFOs because there's these perfectly clean cuts, uh, the dogs being incinerated in the Sherman family. Uh, and there's been tons of UFO sightings in this area for the last hundred years. And a lot of people have seen orbs of light around here. So it's just like this story has so many elements to it. Some people also believe that if you were to dig on this ranch, you would find ancient meteorites, 
underground bases, alien spacecrafts. There's also a natural gas plant nearby that sends out flares. So some people think that this might be causing all of the orb and UFO sightings. Other people think, you know, like government testing. Uh, after all, Utah is known for Area 51 and lots of other government test facilities. There's also a lot of radiation testing that was done in this area in the 40s and 50s. And there's insanely high levels of radiation there still to this day. Like people on the Netflix series literally got sick. They got radiation sickness and their detectors, like radiation levels are constantly going off. So maybe this is like a black ops scenario. Uh, maybe they're stealing the cattle and performing experiments. Neuroscientist Michael Persinger has theorized that geophysical forces like tectonic shifts, seismic activity, geomagnetic fields, and other environmental phenomena have perhaps affected viewers' visual perception, the area of the brain involved in creating hallucinations. So perhaps everything on the ranch is a result of increased seismic activity in the area. Area. Is it seismic or seismic? I feel like it's seismic and I'm just saying it wrong. Sorry, y'all know what I mean. And then of course other people go back to the ancient lore from here with the Utes and the Navajo. This land could be cursed, it could be evil, it could be haunted, there could be demonic activity here, like with the disembodied voices that the Shermans kept hearing in their house and the objects going missing. Well, there could be, you know, glitches in the matrix happening here. One of the scientists on the Skinwalker Ranch series reported having a similar experience to Terry, where he was looking through some binoculars and he saw an orb and a creature crawling out of it. So it seems like there's like time portals in this area. Like just this story has everything. A lot of this activity also reminded me of the legend of the chupacabra. And a lot of the animals in Puerto Rico, when like the chupacabra sightings were happening, they were being drained of their blood. And the chupacabra sightings also started in the 90s when all of the weird stuff with the Shermans started happening. Um, and the chupacabra also has a very similar uh, appearance. Like it's a small coyote or wild dog uh, like appearance. It's like dirty with mangy fur. It's around the same size as others like skinwalkers that have been sighted before. So I just feel like this was too similar to not mention. Skeptics, of course, think that all these people could just be lying to get money, fame, notoriety, what have you. If you're daring and curious, you may be wondering if you could visit Skinwalker Ranch for yourself. But alas, this ranch is private property. So there's tons and tons of security. You can't go see it. Sorry. However, there are campgrounds nearby that have UFO themed tours on ATVs and you can get pretty close to the land. So you might have an experience for yourself there. So as you can see, this is a very big story. There's lots of lore and theories about skinwalkers and skinwalker ranch and many terrifying and cautionary tales about these ancient beings. So whatever theory you buy into, or if you believe none of it, I think it would be pretty insane to not find this concept of skinwalkers perplexing. And that is the story of the skinwalker and the infamous skinwalker ranch. I hope you guys enjoyed this creepy and fascinating topic. I know I certainly enjoyed researching it and sharing it with you all. And happy one year anniversary to you guys, to Perplexity. It is such an honor to share these tales with you guys week after week. I hope you enjoyed this story. If you did, tell your friends, tell your family, share it with the world. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, I would love if you hit that subscribe button and the notification button and joined me for next week's tale. If you're listening on a podcast platform, get on Apple or Spotify and leave a five-star review. 
Word of mouth and leaving reviews is the only way that this show gets out to more people. And when you guys do that, it allows me to continue to not only bring you content, but keep bringing you better content. So thank you in advance for that. And yeah, that about wraps it up. You all are amazing. I hope you have a great week and you all stay safe. And I will talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Perplexity, a mystery podcast. Hosted, written, and produced by Kadra Brennan. If you enjoyed today's episode, tell the world about it by going to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leaving a five-star review. It helps the show more than you know. Contact, support, and merch links can be found in the episode description. And if you have a story to share or a topic request, send an email to perplexitymysterypodcast at gmail.com. Kadra would love to read your story on the podcast. Until next week, stay curious.